My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning. Welcome to Our Sunday School. If you've got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 12 this morning. Mark chapter 12. So today's handout is the exact same as last week's handout. If you kept yours from last week, it's the same one. Uh, I'm still chuckling that I thought I could get through all that in one week. So, you know, it's the way this, it's the way this works right now. So we'll, uh, we'll start with our question that we ask each week. What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? Jesus gets asked a lot of questions, and, yes. And, and the questions come from unbelief and unbelief. Yes. And the thing that I find is that it's okay for us to ask questions. Yes, that's exactly right. Even in our doubt. Yes. As long as we ask honestly and faith. Yep. So, for those of you online, the Jesus gets asked a lot of questions. Uh, some of them are from unbelief, some of them are from a, a desire to believe, uh, and some are to trap. And it's the one of the one of the outputs of that for us is that it's okay for us to ask questions. Absolutely, it's okay for us to ask questions. Yeah, that's good. Yes, ma'am. Yes. And I was thinking on that, and I was thinking, do I live like God is God the Creator? Hmm. I mean, He heals people, you know, and do I have that faith that He can heal or He's victorious over sin or, you know, just I could go on. Yeah. That's a good question. From verse 27, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So are, are we living like he is the God of the living, or are we living like he is God of the dead? Boy, you could think on that for a long time, couldn't you? <laughs> I know when I get the one eyebrow raised, Ms. Sherry, that, I, that we've, we've hit on something here, yes. <laughs> that one well, that's also how I know that I might have gotten off somewhere. That <laughs> Like, it, it serves multiple purposes. <laughs> All right, anybody else? What's God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? All right, let's jump into Mark chapter 12. Uh, so good morning to those of you online. So to Amy and to Nancy and to Sean. Good morning, good morning, good morning. And uh, so let's look at Mark chapter 12. I'll read all the way through, and then we'll start today. We'll pick up and review just a split, well, not a split, but a couple of seconds on uh, 28 through 30, and then today we'll pick up in 31. So Mark chapter 12. 
And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told them parable about them, against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Well, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And when the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David, call, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, 
Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Amen. So again, Mark chapter 12 this morning, we'll uh, review quickly starting in verse 28. And so in, and one of the scribes, so we talked about the scribes last week. Uh, we talked about that they are the uh, amongst the educated class. Uh, these were the folks that you would have needed to drop a contract. These are the folks that you would have needed to uh, copy something. These are uh, folks that would have been very useful in finding uh, information about either the Old Testament or some rabbi's interpretation of the Old Testament. Uh, Brian and I were talking before class this morning. And he said, oh, well, they sound kind of like the paralegals. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a decent-ish analogy, right? So paralegal is going to be aware. Paralegal is going to be able to do a lot of the stuff that somebody higher up in an organization would be able to do. They're going to have to know a lot about a lot of things. I thought, that's not too bad. I kind of I like that. So last week we also talked about uh, just pop quiz because this is school, right? Uh, so who was the famous scribe from the Old Testament we referenced last week? Anybody remember? Ezra. Ezra. I did hear it that time. Yes, I heard the answer that time. Thank you very much. Yeah, so we've got uh, lots of scribal history all throughout the Old Testament. Um, but the specific scribe that we see today we would, uh, we would believe he would be higher up in the uh, ecclesiological food chain because he is in the temple, right? So this is somebody who is, who is here. Um, I'll read you something here real quick. Uh, it was um, when, when this scribe comes and asks him, you know, which, which of these is the most important of all or which of these is the, the greatest or the first commandment? Um, this was, a, again, we talked about this a little bit last week. This is a very common question to give a rabbi. Uh, and I will tell you that the rabbis themselves differentiated between, this is Edwards, uh, commentary on Mark, this is page 370. Uh, the rabbis themselves um, differentiated between what they called heavy and light commandments. And if, you've, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that there's a, a heaviness and a substance associated with things of God and a lightness and an emptiness and a vanity associated with things uh, with idols. So the, there's a heavy light contrast in the Old Testament. So the light commands uh, made less demand on one's will or possessions, whereas heavy or weighty commandments concerned life's uncompromising essentials. So heavy commandments were accorded utmost seriousness and when broken were assessed the severest penalties. So when Jesus spoke of uh, breaking one of the least of these commandments, Back in Matthew 5, he himself observed the distinction between heavy and light commandments. So he's speaking the language that would have been common to the people of the day. Uh, and it was not uncommon to ask reputed teachers, as the scribe does in this instance, to declare themselves uh, on the weightiest of the commandments or to summarize the Torah in a nutshell. And we talked last week about uh, Rabbi Hillel's famous question, you know, tell me the, the whole Torah while standing on one leg. You know, right? How do you summarize the entire thing? And if you, if you think about the difficulty of summarizing 
the entire Old Testament in a sentence. Like that's, there's a lot going on there. And you, you probably want to have a pretty good understanding of not only the major points, but some of the minor points and how they accentuate the major and influence and what's the whole story. And so there's, like this is a, it's a relatively complicated question, I would argue. Um, and we see Jesus' answer here, and it is brilliant. And I mentioned last week that it really doesn't show up anywhere else until Jesus says it. There's snippets of this and snippets of this and snippets of this kind of all over. But when this scribe comes up and hears them, this is the, the context here is the Sadducees and Jesus' disciples and Jesus disputing with one another uh, and seeing that Jesus had answered them well or uh, um, in, a, in a moral sense he was doing a good job. He asked Jesus, which commandment, he's looking for one again, is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, and then he says the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So we talked about last week this this uh, plural command about a plural God with very individual application for the individual Israelites. And we also looked at how Jesus gave a summary and a rewording of what the Old Testament actually said and that that was considered a legitimate quote of the Old Testament because we have communicated what the Old Testament, the intent was. Uh, now, the great thing is we always get this with Jesus quotes about the Old Testament, right? So no matter what he says about the original text, this is actually what we were trying to do with it, what we, this is what God was trying to do with this and to push and to advance uh, theologically. So lots of interesting things going on here, but we'll pick up in verse 31 today. So Jesus, he answers this question, which again, we, we talked about last week was not normal. And then in verse 31, he's going more. Right. So the second is this, and he now quotes from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Almost any uh, Bible on the planet will have a, uh, a little uh, notation here to reference you to Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor, and if, I don't know how you feel about marking or taking notes, but you've got a, the, the handout. I would I'd make special note there of the word your, because that's going to be important here in just a minute. You shall love your neighbor as, or in the same manner as, you love yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so he's given him two. So Jesus answers his question, gives him more than he asked for, and doesn't ask a question. Which is really unusual for Jesus. So we, so that the, the ball is back in the scribe's court, verse 32, the scribe doesn't just let it sit there. So the scribe said to him, to Jesus, you are right. Now think about this for just a hot minute. <laughs> He's just assessed, or you could go as far as to say judged, the correctness of Jesus' words. <laughs> He's, He's judged the Logos' Logos. Like this is... Uh, I, I don't think he knew what he was doing here. At least he got it right, right? He didn't pronounce a, a bad judgment on Jesus. This is a, a, an, an accurate assessment of what's going on. So you are right. So he judges correctly Jesus's 
answer, and we're going to see Jesus do the same here in a minute with him. So he says, teacher, again, the sign of respect, you have truly said that uh, he is one. Now, did Jesus say he is one? Open book, did he say he is one? Yes, the Lord our God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So, yes. Now, look at the next part. And there is no other beside him. Did Jesus say, and there is no other beside him? You see that? Where do you see that? Uh, yes, those are the those, those are the scribes' words. Does Jesus say those? Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. I love it when we can when I can ask questions and I know that there's a definitive answer when you look at this verse. It's like, yay! You know, I, I'm not a big fan of the. What was Jesus thinking right then? Oh my! Like I, I'm not good enough to even go there. So, so did the did the scribe, did Jesus say there is no other beside him? You see that anywhere? Nope, he didn't say that. Now, this was how conversation went between theological parties of this day. One side would state something. If you agreed, you'd state it back and then you'd add a little. You'd state it back and you'd add a little. You'd add a little. And it's this kind of back and forth dialogue. And this is how we just have conversation, right? You say, yes, I agree with what you just said, or no, I don't. And, and here's a little more on this topic. So that the scribe does really what the scribe was used to doing which was when somebody comes and asks a question about something with the law or the Old Testament, here's the answer, and oh, here's something else that might help, right? Trying to give additional perspective, additional context. This is, scribe's going to scribe. So, so you, you shall love your neighbor. Sorry, that was really awful. Um, and the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. Yes, he said that. And there is no other besides him. So, okay. And, so verse 33, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. Now, did Jesus say that? Yeah. Now, does the scribe paraphrase what Jesus said? Yes. So we've got, a, we've got Jesus rewording what the original was. We've got the scribe rewording what Jesus said. But we know from what Jesus says at the end, you've, you've answered wisely. So he didn't, he didn't misinterpret Jesus. He was like, okay, this is good. But he keeps going. Is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Did Jesus talk about anything with burnt offerings and sacrifices? He's like, nope. So now we've got the new again. So I'm going to restate what you said. I'm going to add something additional. I'm going to restate what you said. I'm going to add something additional. This is the, the theological banter, if you will. But I want, to want, I want to draw one distinction between what the scribe said and, and, and in his paraphrase of Jesus. And I don't want to press it too hard because Jesus himself judges wisely, obviously, um, the scribe to have said and responded wisely. So if you look back, and I'm looking at the beginning of, actually the end of verse... Uh, 32, I believe. No, beginning of 31. Beginning of 31. This is my biggest downside to my handouts. I sometimes struggle to find exactly where the verse number is. 
because there's so much going on in these things. So if you've ever struggled with my handout, please understand I do too. I just find them really, really helpful. So, so I'll keep doing them like that. So verse 31, the second is this, you shall love, what's the next word in the ESV? Your neighbor as yourself. And look at what the scribe says. What does the scribe say? To love one's neighbor as oneself. And to flip over, and if you've got your hand out, what I want you to do is to look on page 404. <laughs> That's not an error. In the middle of the page, on the left-hand side, I have highlighted the word ones. Because that word is added by the ESV. It's actually not in the original Greek text. That, uh, there's a definite article there, but that's just describing the neighbor. That's not a, that's not, it shouldn't be interpreted as ones. So to love, you could say the neighbor or a neighbor as oneself. So Jesus makes it very pointed and the scribe makes it very generic. So there, this is probably the biggest difference between what Jesus says and what the scribe says that I can find as far as how they're using this particular text. Now, what I don't want to do here is I don't want to double down and like preach a whole sermon on this because I don't think it's that big of a deal because Jesus didn't push him hard on this, right? I want, to, I want to press hard against things where Jesus presses hard and not really just tread too hard when Jesus says, you've answered wisely, this is, you know. But he also didn't say you've, you're flawless and all this stuff either. So, so a word that I didn't actually know what it meant at the very end of verse 33. So switching gears now. At the end of verse 33, uh, when the scribe says, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So sacrifice is just a, a really simple word for sacrifice. Uh, but the whole burnt offerings, what, what is the Greek word there? If you look at the transliteration, what does it what does it look like, our English word? Or really, I, mean, I guess it's an English word. It's probably from some other language originally. but Holocaust, yeah. Like that is what a holocaust is. When, when I, I was growing up, you learn about history. You learn about uh, great things that happened in history. You learn about horrible things that happened in history. I only knew the word Holocaust as it was associated with the murder of millions and millions of Jewish people in Europe during the war, right? It's like, well, it actually means a wholly consumed sacrifice, which I would argue is a, a, an interesting way to describe those activities, right? As a sacrifice. That's a strange word to pick for that. So I'm, I don't know what to do with that. I just thought it was a very odd way that we would get the phrase whole burnt offerings from the Greek word holokotuma. Uh, holokotoma, uh, sorry. Uh, which sounds like a Disney song, right? But it's not. So verse 34, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, and this, is, this word is where all of my push and emphasis is coming from in last week's lesson and this week's lesson and why I am not taking a two by four and beating the scribe over the head with it relentlessly because the scribe did really, really well. So, so how many times in the New Testament do we have record of Jesus saying somebody did something wisely? I don't, I don't know how many there are, but I bet you I don't need both hands to count them. <laughs> like there's, there's not a lot. 
He didn't walk around and say, like, that's wise. That's wise. Oh, that's really wise. This was not a word that was passed out often, right? So I don't know if you ever had a teacher in school where to get an A in that class was like, wow, like this, we have really done something here. But he, he at least got a B plus here, right? And then, so he gives him something positive, and then he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, I don't think Jesus... I don't think Jesus is making a joke here, but who's he literally not far from in the kingdom? The king, <laughs> right? So he's literally not far from the king of the kingdom. So there's a little bit of wordplay going on here, but I don't think they were rolling in the floor or the dust or whatever, they were, the stones laughing here, right? So you're not far from the kingdom of God. Did he say he was in the kingdom of God? Did he say he's a member of the kingdom of God? Did he say he's a citizen of the kingdom of God? And he says he's not far. So there's, he's answered wisely, but he's not a citizen. So there's still a gap. And you're like, well, well, what's the gap? You know, and I, I'm the guy that I want to know well, what happened to the scribe. Like, what was next? Does he show up anywhere else in scripture? What was his name? Can we trace him in history? Does he, do we have any... Uh, the early church fathers, did they write about him? Did any of the apostles know him? Did he follow up? Like, what, what happened to this guy? And what's the answer? I don't know, right? I don't know. I know he came face to face with truth. I know he was confronted with something that was true. I know he heard true words. I know he got to engage directly with the king of the kingdom. And then he got told, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Now, do you see that Jesus judges the scribe here? So the scribe judged Jesus a couple of verses earlier, and Jesus judges the scribe here. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Is that going to cut it on the last day? No, no. Close does not count in citizenship and non-citizenship, right? You are either a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven or you are not, and he was not. And then we get the... the the divine commentary here, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So I'll, I'll step back for just a second, and, and don't miss the fact that Jesus has answered questions from the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and then a scribe. A lot of questions, like just back to 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 back. Here we go. And then we get this, he doesn't ask any more then nobody asks him any more questions. What does he do in the next paragraph, though? He taught in the temple, yes. What does he start with? Nobody's asking him questions, but what is, what is he doing now? He's asking a question, right. So you, I would argue that here we see a transition point from, I don't want to say he's playing defense, but we definitely start to play offense in the next text. He is starting to challenge. He is like, I was talking to Brian this morning again. I think I mentioned it last week. You know, the, the scribe and the Pharisees and the chief priests and the elders and the, the Herodians and the Sadducees, they all thought the temple was their turf. Like, he's on our turf now. No, the temple is his turf. Quite literally, this is his. It was built to worship him. 
he's got the home field advantage. And they didn't get this. And you're about to see him start being very, uh, a, pushy has this negative sinful connotation, but he's about to start pushing into their space, teaching in their space, pushing back on literally what the scribes have taught about their space. So I, I would say don't miss the structural change that goes on here from being attacked, attacked, attacked to Jesus turning that around and pushing it back uh, and saying, no, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back. But he's got a reason for pushing back. He's got a reason for engaging them. So if you think about the whole narrative of Jesus Christ, why does he need to start pushing back at this point? Like what's, what starts to happen next? Like how many, does anybody know what day of the week it is right here? I'll give you a nickel if you know what day of the week it is. Julie will give you a nickel. I don't have a nickel. <laughs> I'd have to Venmo you a nickel. <laughs> it's like Tuesday or Wednesday. You know what happens at the end of the week? He's in the grave. That's how far we are from this. So they're attacking, 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 and Jesus just cranks up the dial. And he needs, because he needs, I don't know how to say this, he is going to ramp up the conflict between the two groups, between Jesus and his disciples and all the uh, opposition for the purpose of, on a very specific day, at a very specific time, in a very specific place, with a very specific person being killed. So if you don't think Jesus is absolutely in control of the calendar, this is a demonstration of it. To silence them, to get them to stop attacking so that he could start attacking to ramp up the engagement to result in his own death. He's not playing checkers. <laughs> right? This is a uh, multi-thousand year game of chess. He's got the long view in mind here. And to me, it's just absolutely stunning. So that's kind of the setup for next week. But let's do some application and some personalization for uh, last week and for this week. So for last week, and, the, and I've got a lot of them because there's a lot going on here. So I said that like I'm ashamed. I've got a lot of them. There's a lot going on here. This is good. Uh, so application point number one, uh, I would say love summarizes the law. Love summarizes the law. So, you know, um, the Lord our God is one. Uh, the Lord our God, the Lord, our, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Love summarizes the law. So what do we do with that? What do you think we ought to do with that? Love, yes, very simple. Excellent. So don't miss the great, big, obvious truth here. Uh, a, a perhaps less obvious truth, application number two, what's the point? I would say order matters. Right? Order matters. You have to start with a good understanding of who the Trinity is. You have to start with a good relationship with God, and that results in the output of a good relationship and ability to love our neighbor. If we just go immediately to the love your neighbor part, you're going to run out of steam, right? There's no enduring uh, source of strength from that. So, you know, what do, what do we do with that? Well, I quoted Edwards last week, uh, but love for God releases the love of God. We try to love out of our own strength, disconnected from him. This is not a, this is not a healthy relationship. The example that I used for a long time was a, uh, like a laptop. 
right? You unplug a laptop and you start watching Netflix on that laptop. Well, you're not going to watch Netflix very long because <laughs> it's going to drain that battery. But if you keep it plugged in, you're probably going to be good to go until you lose your internet connection, right? But there, there's got to be a connection to source here. All right, application number three uh, is a good word for you. Labels are not monolithic. Labels are not monolithic. So he's a scribe, right? But he was a seeker. He was interested. Jesus didn't, there's no smite button that was engaged here. So labels are not monolithic. So just because somebody has a different label than we are used to, just because somebody comes from a different tribe than we are used to, um, doesn't mean automatic disqualification, doesn't mean automatic sweeping aside, which is why I think we need to be careful. We, hi, my name is Jim. You'd be very careful with labels that are going to be offensive and hinder the actual advancement of the gospel. So what do we do with that? Um, I'd say be open, number three, personalized. Be open to honest inquirers. Be open to honest inquirers. <clears throat> there will be people with whom we fundamentally disagree who ask honest questions about Jesus. We should engage. Application number four, uh, knowledge only takes you so far because he was close to the kingdom. He wasn't in the kingdom. Application number four, knowledge only takes you so far. So what was this guy missing? What had he not done that you have heard me say over and over and over and over again in Mark? What had he not done? He knew, right? But he had not done what? Repent and believe. That's right. So personalize, what do we do with that? Know and repent and believe. Right? This is not a... Um, this is not a uh, discredit to knowledge. You obviously have to have something to repent and believe in, but it doesn't stop at knowledge. If we stop at knowledge, we stop at the gates to the kingdom. And this is a dangerous place to be. It's a tragically dangerous place to be. So application number five. This scribe's story is left unfinished. Not as much an application as a statement, but we'll get there in a second. The scribe's story is left unfinished. So what do we do with that? I would say that we should examine our story. I'd also argue that the Holy Spirit left it unfinished on purpose, and that was the good and right and holy thing to do. So let me not argue with the Holy Spirit here. Um, but we should examine our story. Are we at the gate of the kingdom, lacking repentance and belief, and just resting in knowledge? And if we are, we should repent and believe. <laughs> right? This is not a complicated process to get from one side of the gate to the other. And then don't miss what I would argue another great, big, massive, really important point here. Application number six, Jesus is greater. They have come at him with the scribes and the elders and the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even an honest seeker. And he deals with all of it. Succinctly and brilliantly in ways that awe and make people wow and then ultimately walk away. So just like I mentioned several weeks ago, if the output of our studying Jesus is to go, wow, that's incredible, close the book, walk away, exact, behave exactly like we did before, 
we're the scribe, right? We're the Pharisee. We're the chief priest. We're the elder. We're the Herodians. We're the Sadducees. I want to be the disciples who followed, who obeyed, who went and spread the gospel, who went and did what Jesus actually asked them to do, which was a beautiful, beautiful thing. So what do we do? What do we do with Jesus is greater? I would say follow and worship him. Follow and worship him. And with that, I needed every bit of two lessons. <laughs> there was a lot going on in this text. I think there is um, there's a spectacular amount going on in next week's text. Uh, if you hadn't picked up next week's handout, it's at the door. It's also at OurSundaySchool.com. Uh, and there are... There are probably there are probably as many questions when I go through and, and write questions out about uh, chapters before I, I teach. There's probably as many questions that I had about verses 35, 36, and 37 as I had in the rest of the chapter. Like there are tons of things to look at in this text. It is a fantastic text, and Lord willing, we will start with Mark 12:35 next week here at 9:07. I'm excited about that. So our homework as it is each week is to pray, hear, think, talk, share, and invite. Uh, so please do that. We've also got uh, our prayer request time. So if you, uh, if you guys that are here, uh, if you're at a table by yourself or with uh, one other, you know, we're going to bunch up a little bit and join together. Uh, but uh, document those. Ah, thank you. I didn't expect that to pop up. I appreciate that. Uh, but we'll uh, write down a request, lean and engage, pray with somebody not with you, and then we're going to go and worship him and with the Spirit's help, follow him as we should. So that's the lesson for today. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys online for being here. Um, this will all be at OurSundaySchool.com as well as all the resources we saw, uh, the teacher notes, all that kind of jazz. And uh, with that, love you guys. Thanks again. We'll uh, hopefully see you next week. Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.